Good morning. I'm going to play a couple praise songs for you now. Shout to the Lord. Y'all know this one. Lord, there is none like you. 
all of my days. I want to praise the wonders of your mighty Tower of refuge and stream. Let every breath, all that I have, never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord of the earth, let us see. It's good to see everybody here today. Welcome. We're glad to, uh, to share this time of worship with each of you and uh, hope God's going to bless you in a very special way. We welcome our guests, especially today. You're, uh, you're very important to us. We're glad that you're here today and, and uh, hope that you feel very much a part of our family as we worship God together. Let me remind every one of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you would uh, take those and uh, fill them out, put your name, address, and uh, email address on there and check the appropriate box. And especially if you'd like to receive our email newsletter, uh, please put your email address on there and uh, we'll put you on the list. It's a great way to keep up with the uh, activities that are going on here at Community Baptist Church. Uh, speaking of which, I have a few announcements. I think, uh, Rachel, you have an announcement that you'd like to make, so you go ahead and make your way forward. Mike, I think you have an announcement, so you just come on up forward as well. And uh, while they're coming forward, let me say that uh, our Upward ministry has begun. We have been registering people all week long, and I'm not sure what our numbers are, but we've, we've been really busy registering folks for our Upward basketball and cheerleading program. So thank you for those of you who have volunteered and have spent this week uh, uh, helping out. And we've, that's just starting, folks. We've got, uh, got room for lots more volunteers uh, in the next weeks ahead as we begin this ministry. And it's a very important ministry to our church. Rachel. Good morning. Um, most of you guys know I am now the new youth director. And um, September... <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> um, um, on September 11th, Friday evening, I plan to have a lock-in here, and I know that we are all big uh, football fans, so um, I was going to have the ones that cannot drive meet here uh, around 7 to head to the football game, and then we would come back and meet here at 10 o'clock and have a lock-in from 10 at night till 7 in the morning because we have to get out of here because they're snowing um, for the orphans, um, but... 
Um, I've also invited other churches to come and join with us as well, so hopefully we'll have a big crowd here. Um, but I just wanted to invite the uh, youth group, which would be um, um, 6th through 12th grade. I'm more than welcome to come. We'll have food, games, and a little bit of fellowship and um, some movies and rest time. So, thanks. Uh, it's a busy time of year, and... Uh, our missions and ministry team, we've got several things going. Uh, the Sherway fundraiser, September 18th and 19th. Uh, we have tickets in the office, and uh, this next two weeks, we need to uh, get try to get our tickets sold and get our pre-sale count uh, uh, as best we can by September uh, the 13th. So if you would like to buy some tickets... For the uh, barbecue, you can see me. If you would like to take a, an envelope of tickets to sell to friends, neighbors, or uh, co-workers, uh, they're in the office, and you can see me uh, after church or before you leave today and uh, try to get you some tickets. Uh, this last two weeks, we really need to kind of push and, uh, and get our sales uh, finalized. And we'll, we can sell right up to the date, but we'd like to... To have you know pretty much our pre-sales done by September the 13th, or the, at least the bulk of it. Uh, the rummage sale, October 2nd and 3rd, the Highway 60. Uh, if you have stuff at your house and uh, you would like to uh, put it in the rummage sale, you can go ahead and start bringing it to the church. Uh, we have room back here. There's a room upstairs here. We can put the, the things in, and uh, we can help you to get rid of that. We'll also be uh, selling pork chops, hamburgers, hot dogs, maybe have some cookies and brownies and drinks for sale uh, during the rummage sale on August, on October 2nd and 3rd. So, uh, and also sign-up sheet over there if you can volunteer to help with the uh, fundraiser on Friday or Saturday, uh, please, please sign up on the table over there. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Uh, just a couple of other things. Um, we, we did this once before, and so we and it was a big success, and so we're going to do it again on September the 12th and the 13th. We're having sewing day, uh, sewing days, I guess you could say. I think they're cutting patterns and things on the 12th and, and on the 13th. They're putting them all together. And what this is all about is we are making, listen to this, we. <laughs> they are making dresses and shorts for orphans in Guam. Uh, we are in touch with a ministry team that will be going to Guam uh, in just a few weeks, I believe. And so we are preparing these dresses and shorts for the orphans there in Guam. And so, uh, you know, come and be a part of that. And you don't have to know how to sew. You can cut. You can. You, there's all sorts of things you can do. And I even think Mark, where, there he is. I think he sews. I have a picture of him sewing a dress. So don't. So and it's. Still, I haven't seen him wear it yet, but <laughs> but but come on, it's it's a lot of fun, and that's um, and, and it's a very important thing. So please come and and, uh, and and be a part of that. One other thing, at, at the end of the service today, many of you uh, received a letter from me uh, during this past week. At the end of the service today, there will be a called business meeting where we will discuss and vote on the possibility of a capital campaign here at Community Baptist Church, and this is. This is very important uh, for us, so, 
So please stay and cast your vote uh, if you're a part of that. I know some, we have some, some visitors here. We'll just go through our service and have our benediction. And, and you, you're welcome to stay if you want to, but it may not interest you, and so you're free to go uh, after the service if you'd like. But uh, for those of you who are uh, members and, and participants and givers here at the church, that's important. Uh, so we want your opinion on that uh, after the service today. So let's stand now and we'll sing our hymn of gathering number 203. His name is wonderful. special music in our program, uh, Brad Fleming, he's going to come up at, uh, oh, uh, right after the offertory, and he'll introduce his, not yet, he'll introduce his uh, guest guitarist at that time, we introduce your guest. Go ahead, Brad. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Oh God, we lay down our self-imposed responsibility this day of judging the hearts and the motives and the intentions and actions of the people around us. You have instructed us clearly on this, and we will obey you. We are asking you to help us remove the back-breaking burden of being the judge, and we repent of the pride in our lives that is evident every time we have a critical judgmental thought. You have commanded us all, to walk in forgiveness and love, to rise above offenses and to walk humbly with you. And we choose that road today. We submit our thoughts to you, each and every one, for approval, choosing loving thoughts and not condemning thoughts, compassionate thoughts and not critical thoughts. And God, if you don't mind, would you kindly remove the log in my eye? Thank you. In Jesus' name and with the help of his Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.
Teach us, Jesus, to choose God's way over temptation. And be salt and light in the world. To love instead of judging others. Teach us, Jesus, to trust you in the middle of our fears. Teach us, Jesus, we are ready. We are here. We are listening for your word. not in our program today, but we do have a children's moment. The children want to come forward. Let me get the stage set here just a little bit. Oh, you know how much I love telling you stories of people of my past when I was your age. And boy, today. Do I have a story to tell you? I do. It was about a wonderful lady. But first, I want to talk about something that you all have done and ask you about last weekend. I heard it was a big time for all of you all. Y'all went to a Christian rock concert, some of you, and a camping trip. Is that right? Well, we especially this morning want to give a big thank you to Miss Mary and Miss Jill, Miss Virginia, Kelsey, and Trevor, Trevor, for going with you all last weekend on that big camping trip. I understand that it was a big time and everyone had a great time, right? So y'all be sure to tell those adults that went with you a big thank you. Well, my story today is about a woman that went to my church 
when I was growing up, I was about 10 years old, and she didn't come very often. But when she did come to church, everybody noticed. Her name was Tootie Green. We called her Miss Tootie. And she didn't come in, like I said, she didn't come very often, but when she would come to church, she wouldn't come until just right before the service started. And she'd, she wore high heel shoes, and you could hear her go, click, 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 in the vestibule of the church. And she'd walk down the center aisle, and she would sit right beside me and my mother. And we always sat on the organ side of the church. Guess why? Because I was infatuated by organs and pianos when I was... 10, 8, 9, and 10 years old. And Miss Tootie would sit down beside us. Miss Tootie wore some high heel shoes that were about five inches high. And she had this little strap that went across the front of her toes. And all you could see poking out of those toes was her pretty painted red toenails. And she'd sit down beside us and she'd usually wear a skirt. And that skirt was really tightly fit, had a little slit up the side. And she'd wear a blouse. Oh, just beautiful clothes. She had gorgeous clothes. And her her blouse would be long sleeve, and she'd wear little gloves that would cover her hands, but you could still see her fingers. And her fingers had big, long fingernails. They were Lee Press-On nails back then. And she would have them painted up. I just loved this woman. She had lots of makeup on, tons of makeup, and big red lipstick. And these eyelashes that would go out about a half an inch, they were so pretty. The women of the church would kind of just look at her and roll their eyes, and the men were all looking. <laughs> she, she had these wigs that she would wear. Wigs were kind of popular back then. It was a big, blonde wig, and she was so beautiful. I told my mom one time, I said, Mom, you need to get one of them wigs. That did not go over very well at all. <laughs> Miss Tootie was so sweet, and like I said, she was set right next to me. And one time she told my mother, she said, I want you to bring Nibby by my house because I want him to see my organ and piano. And she said that right in front of me, and I was like, yes, Mom, I want to go, I want to go. Well, Mom was a little bit hesitant, but she did take me to Miss Tootie's house. Miss Tootie had a big house in the middle of downtown Henderson. It was absolutely beautiful. Walked into her house. She had a big old swimming pool. I think the swimming pool was in the shape of a piano. (laughs) I never known Miss Tootie to play the piano or the organ or even go in the swimming pool. But I went into her house, and there was this big Wurlitzer player piano. Player piano and player organ. It had all these buttons on it. It just did everything. You could hit one button and it would sound like a drum. You could hit another button and it would sound like a saxophone. You could hit another button and it would just play itself. And it was just, it was fun. She had big, tall drapes in her house and her couch was beautiful, plush, red velvet. She was so sweet. I always liked it. She would give me a kiss. And whenever she kissed somebody, guess what? She left. Big old hunk of red lipstick on my cheek. Just loved it. Really didn't know a whole lot about Miss Tootie other than the fact that she had rental property in our town. And that she was the only child. She didn't have any brothers or sisters. 
and her parents died when she was quite young. She always said that she was going to make something of herself because her parents didn't read or write. Some people in the church, they would say about Miss Tootie, they would say, she's nothing but a floozy. And I was like, what's a floozy? And I asked, and they said, well, that just means she was just a loser. You know, she wasn't a member of the WMU, or she didn't cook uh, church dinners for us kids on Wednesday nights. She just kind of came on occasion. But there was some love in her heart that was just so real. And I loved her so much because of how much she cared about me. And she got to be very old, and she would come to church on occasion. But you know what? She, Beneath all that fake makeup, she was a very real person. She loved me, and she loved Jesus. And when she died... You know what happened? She didn't have anybody to leave anything to. She didn't have any kids or anything. She left a big portion of her money and her estate. She rented houses to people, or that's what they said she did, to people in the community. But she left a major portion of her estate and her belongings to the church. And she left another big portion of her money to the college And it was specifically for children who had parents that didn't read and write. And you know the third thing that she did? She left her money, some money, to the Humane Society that takes care of orphaned cats. And for many years, the cats in our community were fed by Miss Tootie's money. Now isn't that a sweet story? That she might have looked kind of fake on the outside... But she was really real on the inside, and she cared about others. And I hope you learned that lesson from what Miss Tootie told us today. That's what I have for you. Enjoy the rest of your week. Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they thoroughly washed their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders And they do not eat anything from the market unless it's washed. And there was also many other traditions that they observed, the washing of cups and pots and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do you disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. And then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that's going to 
that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stand and sing our offertory hymn. pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to your house today with many different hopes and heartaches, joys and sorrows, pain and triumphs. We are all the same when it comes to your affection. We are the receivers, receivers of love, receivers of grace, receivers of Jesus. We are the givers, following God's call, following Jesus, following our hearts. We thank you for giving us so much, Lord. You give us everything we do not deserve because your grace is so giving. Lord, we give you these offerings for the work of your kingdom, with humble thanks for mercies received. We are your children, following in your light. Help us to be a light for those, for others. In your name I pray, amen. amen.
Check. Oh, here we go. All right. My name is Brad. This is Kevin. Um, we're here to, to worship our God this morning. Um, it's an honor to, to come here and, and sing with you guys. Uh, the song that we're going to do is a worship song, though, so if you feel led to stand, feel free. If you feel led to raise your hands, worship extravagantly, do that. Uh, if you want to sit there and not, that's, that's okay, too. We're not going to be offended, but wherever you feel God leading you, um, that's a, all, all, all we ask is that you follow the, the call of God. The, the name of the song is called Great Are You, Lord. And it talks about how everything that we have, um, our families, every possession on this earth is given to us by God. Um, everything down to the last breath in our lungs is a gift from God. And when we praise Him, He's giving everything back. So worship with us. Can you guys hear that? You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore. Every heart that is broken, and great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you, Holy. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord, is your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. On the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. 
your friends. Our hearts will collide, these bones will stay great. Are you Lord? It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs. Thanks, Brad. It's great to see you again and hear you again. That's uh, uh, we, we love your voice and love your ministry there. Thanks for sharing it. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> He's running back to get some water there. You know, one of the truisms of life is that you can't judge a book by its cover. Um, things are not always what they seem. Uh, I, I, I read a story not too long ago about a zoo in Spain that decided to con conduct a an emergency drill, and the drill was designed to simulate what to do if a gorilla escaped its enclosure. And to make things more realistic, a zookeeper dressed up like a gorilla in a gorilla suit and took off loping across the zoo. Now, you can imagine this, and it was a pretty realistic-looking look uh, uh, gorilla suit, but unfortunately not everyone on the staff was notified about this drill. And when one of the zoo veterinarians saw this gorilla fleeing from its cage, it grabbed a tranquilizer gun and shot the employee in the leg. You can't always judge a book by its cover. Some things are not as they might appear. There's an intriguing legend known as the White Witch of Rose Hall about a beautiful woman named Annie Palmer who used her unparalleled beauty to lure wealthy women or wealthy men into marrying her. There's nothing unusual about that. However, <laughs> however, each time Annie married one of these men, she convinced him to add her to his will, and then she would poison him. And she would continue to poison him even as she pretended to nurse him back to health. But the men would eventually die, leaving his estate to her. And the consequence, as a consequence, she became quite wealthy. She was known as the White Witch because of her alluring appearance of virtue on the outside, but her thorough, thoroughly evil nature on the inside. Maybe you've known someone like that. In our lesson for today, the Pharisees and teachers of the law had come from Jerusalem to investigate Jesus. And like the white witch of Rose Hall, on the outside, these Pharisees were the epitome of respectability. But on the inside, they were vile and unclean. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs 
pretty on the outside, but dead and decaying on the inside. Well, Jesus had been challenging their authority, and they had been growing in their hatred for Jesus, and so they looked for any excuse that they could find to cast aspersions on him and his followers. And on this particular day, they observed some of Jesus' followers, his disciples, eating food without first washing their hands. And this, of course, offended them. Now, we need to understand that this was not about sanitation. There was no sign around that said, employees must wash their hands. That was not there. And it wasn't about preventing germs because they didn't know anything about germs in those days. They didn't know anything about that kind of thing. Instead, this was about maintaining a religious tradition. In fact, Mark paused to explain to his Gentile audience about the Jewish practice of ceremonial washing. As Mark explains it, unclean, the Greek word is koines, means ceremonially unwashed. And it was a technical term among Jewish people denoting that that whatever was contaminated according to their religious rituals was unfit to be called holy or devoted to God or set aside by God. This could refer both to actions as well as to people. And of course, the most common ritual cleansing was the washing of one's hands before eating a meal. And for a loyal Jew, that was an important observance. And to disregard it was considered a sin. Now, you and I might say that these disciples were engaging in unsanitary behavior and they didn't, if they, when they didn't wash their hands before eating. But in the Pharisees' minds, it was a religious issue. They were sinning. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And Jesus knew what this was all about. He knew that the Pharisees really weren't all that concerned about whether his disciples washed their hands or not. They were more concerned with finding fault with his ministry. And so he didn't even mention his disciples' apparent ungodly behavior when he replied to them. Instead, he said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of mankind. Now, Jesus, of course, was correct in his assessment of the Pharisees. The ceremonial laws regarding ritual cleansing were not technically biblical. They were a part of a later tradition called the Talmud, which was kind of like a biblical commentary on the Old Testament. And so it was true that they were holding on to human traditions rather than God's commands. God never commanded, thou shalt wash your hands before you eat. He never did that, but the traditions that came along after him said, you need to wash your hands, and it became a religious tradition. But Jesus wasn't really all that interested in their theology of of these Pharisees. It was their hypocrisy that Jesus was pointing pointing to. And here's the thing, folks. 
it is very clear that Jesus was not concerned about outer appearances, but he was very concerned with inner integrity. These people honor me with their lips, he said, but their hearts are far from me. Pastor Yar, uh, David Yarborough says that when he was in Bible college, he met an interesting young man named Shannon. And what made Shannon so interesting was his looks. His hair was a different color every week, and his ears were loaded down with earrings and, 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 and uh, spacers there, and, and he wore loose, grungy-style clothing. But the, the most interesting point of his appearance was his shorts. You see, he wore shorts regardless of weather. No matter how hot or how cold it was, he was going to wear shorts. And what made his shorts so odd was that he always wore them backwards. Well, as you can imagine, anyone who dressed like that at a conservative Bible college stuck out like a sore thumb. And one day Yarborough said that, that he just couldn't stand it any longer and his judgmental sarcasm got the best of him and he just had to make a crack about Shannon's shorts. And to his surprise, Shannon was ready for this criticism. And Shannon turned to him and said, I'll tell you like I tell everybody who, everybody else who asked me about why I wear my shorts backwards. I tell them that God turned my life around so fast that my shorts couldn't keep up. That's a great response, isn't it? And Yarborough says that something interesting happened throughout that semester as it went on. You see, in spite of his odd appearance, Yarborough began to see Shannon in a different light. Through his actions, through his class participation, through the research papers that he presented, through the prayers that he prayed, he began to realize that Shannon was actually a very spiritual person. His initial reaction to Shannon was rejection. But when he saw past his own bias and was able to see Shannon's heart, his rejection turned to respect. Have you ever been guilty of judging a person by their outer appearance? You ever done that? I have. I, I've, I've told you this story before, and, but but it's not going to stop me from telling you again. <laughs> this is something that happened to me many, many years ago. A few days after I graduated from high school, some friends and I headed up to North Georgia to do some canoeing and, and camping. And when we arrived, we pulled up next to the Chattahoochee River, and we were walking along the, the bank of the river looking for a place to camp. And we saw this hillbilly come trudging across the field to where we were. And he was the epitome of hillbilly. He was wearing a, 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 some overalls with no shirt on. His shoes looked like they were homemade. He had this floppy hat on, and he sported a rugged beard and long hair, and it was kind of grungy there. His name was Delbert Greer. And later we would go up to his house where we saw several of his kids wandering around, playing around in the, in the yard, and not a one of them had a stitch of clothes on. Well, on our truck, we had a brand-new 17-foot aluminum Ruman canoe. 
And it turned out that Delbert knew a lot about the river, and he gave us some tips about how to run certain rapids there. And, and as, we, as we talked with him, he looked up at that aluminum canoe, and he said, you boys better watch out for that parabolic mirror effect. It'll burn you good. And we were, you know, we, were, we just graduated from high school. We knew everything. And we just kind of smiled at each other, and we wondered to ourselves, what in the world does this hillbilly know about parabolic mirrors? And so the rest of the trip, we made our, our, our way down the river. As we made our way down the river, we, we I, I confess, we made fun of Delbert. We poked fun at him, and we made jokes about Delbert and his comment about parabolic mirrors. But it turns out the joke was on us. You see, a couple of months after that, I met somebody who knew Delbert Greer. And it turns out that Delbert is a well-respected, well-known, though eccentric citizen of Helen, Georgia. And he holds a Ph.D. in language from Oxford University. Which guess, just goes to show you, you should never judge a book by its cover. Some 30 or 40 years ago, the easiest way to give certain middle-aged men a near stroke was to introduce them to a young male with long hair. <laughs> you may remember Archie Bunker and his son-in-law, whom he called Meathead. We got meat. There's Meathead. And one of the reasons that Archie despised his son-in-law was his appearance. He had long hair, and he kind of looked like a hippie. But nowadays, if you watch a Gaither concert on TV, which is the veritable bastion of southern white conservative culture, some of the singers look a lot like Meathead. And how stupid we were 40 years ago when we got so upset about how young people looked. And I wonder, do you think 40 years from now, people like us, church people, will realize how ridiculous our generation was to ostracize young people for things like tattoos and piercings? And by the way, you see that graphic there? What do you think about that person? That's a picture of Nadia Boltz Weber, who happens to be a Lutheran pastor. How many of you were judging that book by its cover? My friends, we have a problem in the church today. I love something that theologian Leonard Sweet said years ago. He said, the church loves blue hair until it walks through the door on a 16-year-old kid. <laughs> you may have noticed that most churches these days are getting older. And we wonder, where are all the young adults who need Jesus so badly? Could it be that we've driven them away because they feel like they will be judged by how they look on the outside or by the music that they enjoy or the, the people that they hang out with or the things that are important to them and not by what's in their hearts? 
course, we can make the same mistake with older people too, can't we? Reverend ben, uh, Benjamin Chambal tells about a woman who got engaged later in her life. And her son, who was a successful businessman, flew in from the West Coast to have lunch with his father's fiance in order to check him out, to tell her what he thought about it. And her son's feedback basically amounted to one sentence. He's a nice man, but he needs new shoes. Reverend Shambaugh says that the observation about needing new shoes was insightful. You see, the man was going through a grief process following the death of his first wife. And he wasn't taking very good care of himself. And at the time, his self-esteem was pretty low. And the shape of his shoes showed that something painful was going on in his life. But what his critics missed, says Shambaugh, was the incredible heart that this man had on the, on the inside. And despite the man's shoes, this couple still got married, and they were very happy together. And the man even got a new wardrobe <laughs> in the process. So be very careful about judging people, young or old, by their appearance. Jesus was not concerned about people's outer appearance, but, with the, but he was concerned with their inner integrity. These people honor me with their, their lips, he said, but their hearts are far from me. You know, I, I think that our tendency to judge people by their appearance is a symptom of our estrangement from them. But when we get to know people on a personal level, we're able to get beyond their appearance and appreciate who they are on the inside. In her book, The Shelter of Each Other, Dr. Mary Pfeiffer uh, suggests that our obsession with appearance stems from our lack of relationships within our community. When, when people lived in smaller communities, they often had deep relationships with the people around them, and they knew about their neighbors' families and health conditions and religion and values and habits and needs and and because people knew each other on a deeper broader level they didn't need to judge one another based on their appearances but today we are less likely to know our neighbors the sales clerk the pharmacist the bus driver our colleagues and so on and when that happens we begin to judge each other by external appearances we know nothing about the people we interact with because what they show us because of what they show us on the outside. And so we place less emphasis on internal values like character and more emphasis on external values like looks. The Pharisees were concerned about whether disciples washed their hands before eating and they were and they weren't concerned. They were concerned about that whether they did this before eating, but they weren't concerned with the blind people who were now, who could now see that Jesus healed. And they weren't concerned with the lame people that could, who could now walk that Jesus had healed. And they weren't concerned with the lepers who were now clean or with Jairus' daughter who had come back to life because of Jesus. How could they be so blind to the work of God in their midst? How could they be so blind to the worth of people 
the people, the very people that, that they put down. And even more importantly, could we be just as blind? Could we look beyond people's outward appearance to their inner needs? Some years ago, there was a story on the news about a bizarre tragedy involving a private jet. Aboard the jet were a pilot and one passenger. And during this flight, the air traffic controllers noticed that the jet was was off course, and the, they couldn't raise the pilot on the radio. The plane followed a straight, high-altitude path across several states and, and finally out over the ocean, and it was tracked by radar until it finally ran out of fuel and it cr crashed into the sea. Though the exact cause of the crash remains a mystery, air safety investigators concluded that the plane probably lost cabin pressure during the flight, and both the pilot and the passenger probably either died or lost consciousness because of the lack of oxygen. And meanwhile, the plane's autopilot kept the plane on a straight line course just as if it were being flown by a pilot until it ran out of fuel and crashed. Anybody looking up from the ground would see that jet flying overhead and, wouldn't, and they wouldn't have noticed anything out of the ordinary. It would look like any other jet flying over the head. But even though everything about the plane seemed normal on the outside, something was seriously wrong on the inside. And my friends, some of the people that you and I meet every day are just like that. Just like that plane. Everything looks great on the outside. But inside, they're hurting. Inside, they're needy and they're lonely and they're afraid. And like Annie Palmer, the white witch of Rose Hall, they need to reconcile their inner nature and to bring it into alignment with their outer nature. Maybe that's true of you and me. Maybe on the outside, you look like you've got it all together, but on the inside, you're a mess. Maybe it's time you made a new start. And you can. You can. With God's help, you can begin living out the values that you truly feel on the inside. These people honor me with their lips, said Jesus, but their hearts are far from me. Here's the question for you today, folks. How's your heart? Does it reflect the heart of Jesus? Be careful of judging others on the basis of their outer appearances. Get to know people. And you may discover that the person who looks like they don't belong are actually beloved children of God. Amen. Let us sing together number 496, Burn in Me, Fire of God. Let us stand.
Let me remind everyone that we will be having a business meeting immediately after the worship service. So uh, if you're involved with that, we invite you to stay and, and be a part of that. But now let us bow for our benediction. Go forth as doers of the Word of God, not forgetting what you have heard today. And as the Scripture has promised to each of us, you will be blessed in your doing. Amen. Amen. As a ballot. Um, okay. No, no. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. Okay, let's go ahead and get started here. I want to just make a, a, a little presentation about the uh, kind of what brought us to this, um, to this place and uh, the consideration of, um, of doing a capital campaign. Somewhere around... Twenty years ago, a Community Baptist Church sought a loan to build this wonderful building in which we worship and study and play and minister in the name of Christ. And I love our building. I, I love and I love even more how well it is used for community service and, and for outreach. It, we do a great job in doing that. However, when plans were made for building this building, our church took on a huge debt, around $1.2 million. And since that time, our church has faithfully paid towards this debt, but in 20 years' time, it still remains a huge debt, somewhere in the neighborhood of $607,000. That's about how much we still owe on our building. Through the years, we have paid, listen to this, folks, through the years, we have paid literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in interest, if not more. And as a pastor, it hurts my heart to see money that could be used for the sake of God's kingdom and for the growth of this, this church being spent on interest. For too long, the main focus of our financial planning has, has not been what does God want us to do here at Community Baptist Church? But it has been, what do we need to cut? How do we need to scrimp? Where can we save a little bit here in order to service our debt? In short, this debt has tied the hands of our church for too long, and I think it's time that we did something about it. We are currently paying $4,280 per month on mortgage payments. $4,280 a month. That's $51,360 a year. Over half of that is still going towards interest. Now I want you to think for just a moment what wonderful things we could do here at Community Baptist Church with an extra $51,360 a year. 
The possibilities are tremendous. Well, I think we have finally reached a position where we may be able to see a little light at the end of our tunnel. Your finance team has been working diligently to be good stewards of God's money, and the topic of our debt, has, it comes up frequently at our meetings. And the consensus is that we must do something about it. And to make a long story short, after a lot of brainstorming and consideration and prayer, we decided to seek some help from someone who knows more about this, these things than we do. And this led us to meet with a couple of people who specialize in helping churches with capital campaigns. We spoke with, with each of these people several times and decided that we would like to recommend that we contract with Gary Ely with Horizon Stewardship. He was here last week. Uh, to help us through a capital campaign program. Now, whenever a church seeks help from a cap- or for a capital campaign like this, there are two major objections that inevitably rise to the top. The first is the disbelief that we can do this. That's the first thing. People think, oh, we can't do this. Gary says that with a campaign like this, we should be able to raise somewhere between one and a half times our annual giving to three times our annual giving. Our annual giving is around $230,000. One and a half times that would be an extra $345,000. So that's minimum if, if what he says is true. Two times would be an extra $460,000. Two and a half times would be an extra $575,000, and three times would be $690,000. At two and a half times, along with continuing the regular payments that we make, we could pay this building off in less than three years. And even if we don't make that much, our, our loan is scheduled to, for renewal in three years' time, and, and we would be negotiating for a much reduced amount than if we just continue on like we're doing now. The second obligation that is usually raised is the cost. It will cost us $24,950 for his services. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And I know that some people are saying, well, why can't we just do this on our own? Well, we've been doing it on our own for 20 years now, and we still owe $607,000. Gary has the expertise and the time that the members and the staff of your church don't have. And get this. Listen to this, folks. If at the end of the campaign we are not 100% satisfied with what he has done, he will return all of our fees. Your finance team and your deacons met together on Wednesday, and we discussed this at some length And as a result of that meeting, we would like to present a joint recommendation that we move forward with pursuing a capital campaign. And at this time, I'd like to ask Chris Hopgood, our moderator, to come forward and present the recommendations. Um, And some of us will be here to answer some questions. I've asked a few people to come, and y'all can come on up and and be here uh, to field any questions that you may have. And, And we want to make sure if you have a question, if you have a concern, this is the place to express it. This is to, uh, the place to, to, uh, to say what you're thinking here. Um, we'll, be able, uh, we'll be here to answer those questions, hopefully, and to address any concern that you may have. And so, so uh, after the recommendation is presented, um, 
we'll, uh, we'll field those questions. Chris? You've got in front of you the handout that um, came in the mail or might have been given to you this morning. And as the pastor said, it comes as a result of a joint meeting between the um, finance committee and the deacons, uh, and the ballot is presented here. Uh, the proposal is, uh, as stated there, that to uh, retain Gary Ely of Horizon Stewardship to determine the likelihood of a successful capital campaign for the church in the event that it's determined that such a campaign is deemed feasible and potentially successful, we will enter into a contract with Horizons for $24,950, which would be paid out over an 8- to 10-month period. That uh, campaign would go through a 36-month period for the purpose of paying down or paying off the building debt so more money would be available for uh, God's kingdom and ministries. The money given toward the capital campaign would be in addition to our regular budget and be used solely for capital campaign expenses and for paying additional principal toward our building debt to the extent of our indebtedness. There's some additional information there, and as the pastor said, there are uh, folks here to answer questions. This is a secret ballot. Uh, there's no proxy voting, so you can't have brought somebody else's ballot with you, but they can turn it into the church uh, this week up until the third uh, Thursday at 4 o'clock. That's right, Thursday at 4 o'clock. If you know if somebody's not here and has a ballot and wants to vote, they can turn it in. Uh, you can certainly turn it in today as well. Uh, there will be a counting committee, uh, and uh, the uh, finance deacons jointly will, will announce the results as to whether we're going to proceed with a feasibility study or not. And the feasibility study would then let Mr. Ely know whether he thinks we can do this or not. Questions? Jim? It would come from the uh, proceeds of what he raises. In other words, he's not going to do this unless he's satisfied that he could raise a substantial amount of money. It would be significantly more than uh, 24000 If he comes in and he thinks we can raise $60,000, we're pretty certain his recommendation is going to be not to proceed. So... Uh, and, and that's where he comes in, I think, with the fully satisfied. If he feels like we can raise 300 and he raises 75, you know, I would say that we would all be less than fully satisfied. That's how he gets paid, so you can tell it's a refund if we're not fully satisfied. Yeah. I mean, there would be money, the theory would be there would be money coming in during that time to pay that. If not, we would have to take it out of the budget. Yes. Where did, we, where did we find him? The, the question is, where do we find him? Uh, it, it's kind of a, a circuitous trip here. Uh, we, the, the finance committee talked about this a lot and, and, and talked about our debt and the need to uh, to do something about this, and I had heard um, uh, some some speakers talk about financial planning and estate planning and things like this, and somebody who had a real heart for for giving, and so I approached this person and said, "Hey, look, I, I just wanted to bend your ear," and he was a lot more expensive than Gary was, and there's no there's no guarantee, no money back money back guarantee with him. 
And just to get started, he wanted $15,000 up front. And so that kind of threw a damper on that. But in the meantime, I heard about the capital campaign that was taking place at First United Methodist Church. Uh, some of you may know that one Sunday they were in worship service and the roof basically fell in, and, uh, and they had a lot of damage in the roof, and they needed to raise $1.2 million guarantee with him. And just to get started, he wanted $15,000 up front. And so that kind of threw a damper on that. But in the meantime, I heard about the capital campaign that was taking place at First United Methodist Church. Uh, some of you may know that one Sunday they were in worship service and the roof basically fell in, and, uh, and they had a lot of damage in the roof, and they needed to raise $1.2 million. And Gary Ely, uh, they, they contracted with Gary Ely to help them through this capital campaign process, and they raised that much money and more uh, for, for their, um, their roof repairs. And... Um, and so I talked with Jim Wofford, the pastor at First United Methodist Church. I said, and I've talked to him a couple of times. First time I said, what do you think about Gary? What do you think about he's doing? And he gave a, 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 a full endorsement. And then I talked to, to Jim again Wednesday, kind of after the process. Consequences of state estate planning and things like that but as far as over over hundreds 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 we're we're a little hesitant about taking 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 out hesitant 